I would like to, uh, to thank uh, Bob and Deborah uh, Loudon for uh, lighting the second in our Advent wreath candles this week, the candle of Bethlehem. And as you can tell, um, a part of our Christmas experience on Friday evenings uh, last week and this week uh, is the experience of being in Bethlehem. Uh, and we converted this room, and our team did a great job of uh, preparing uh, and having a wonderful evening. If you were here, I'm, I'm sure you had a great experience on uh, Friday evening. I know I did, and it was a lot of fun. I hope you'll come back this Friday evening. But I particularly want to thank Pastor Kayla and Pastor Mark uh, for spearheading and, and being over all of that. I've had several people ask me, Pastor, did you do the decorations? Are you kidding me? All right. Uh, not, in my, not in my skill set. All right. So uh, grateful for the folks who have been a part and making everything happen. And every once in a while, some of us say, Pastor, well, how do you feel like preaching on a stage where you've got all of this stuff, you know, open? I said, this is nothing. In the church I served in Daytona Beach, Florida, if you live in Florida, you have to make Christmas happen, okay? I mean, you don't get natural snow. You have to, like, fabricate it. I mean, they actually sell snow. People, like, buy it in truckloads, bring it in for their kids to play with, right? And, and we had at our church there a long tradition uh, of what was called a living Christmas tree. Now, here's, here's what you've got to figure out. A living Christmas tree, when I first went there and they're trying to explain it to me, I'm like, what in the world is a living Christmas tree? Well, here's what it is. It's a 40-foot tall. I mean, imagine something went all the way up to those lights, and it's a huge Christmas tree, and it goes, and it took our entire platform. So it, would, it honestly would take this platform, almost all of it. And then you have... Uh, lights and, pe and, and then people, a choir comes in at like each level. And so you got these lights and then they synchronize the lights to the song and, and it's all kinds. It's really, really cool. And we would pack the place out and we would go like Thursday through Sunday evening and I would, on Sunday morning, I would preach in front of this empty tree because they, you know, the choir was tired. They weren't going to sing again on Sunday morning. And so, you know, it's like, eh, there you go. And, and so I'd stand in front of this 40-foot Christmas tree and preach. So after that, it's a piece of cake, right, with all this going on. But what I remember is my first year there, on the opening night, in order to make sure they had a crowd, the worship guys were pretty smart. They contacted every nursing home in the county and they provided transportation, and I mean, people started showing up an hour beforehand. I'd never been in a church thing where people showed up an hour beforehand. And they were there an hour ahead of time, and they're rolling people in in wheelchairs, and they're packing this place out with all of these people from the nursing homes, okay? And it was a great treat for those folks. It was a wonderful thing. But what I remember is having to sit on the front row. I remember two things. Number one, they had a spotlight that would come right on my head, and they were always trying to put pancake makeup on my head. I'm like, no, we're not doing that either, all right? And, and so... Um, they, but I, I'm sitting there that first, the very first one I'm at, I'm sitting there and the entire night, as, as you know, the lights are, there's this lady and she's behind and she, she didn't have any filters. Okay. And, and I mean, they're gone and she didn't have any filter on her volume. It was gone. So she was loud. And so she's sitting there, I don't want to be here. I don't know why they drug me out of my room. I want to go back to my room. I mean, she's doing this, the entire choir singing and she's saying this. And, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Near the end, right? I mean, she's going, well, look at those lights. I could have seen those lights from my room. You know what I mean? She was just going on and on. And all of a sudden, about two songs from the end, the lights changed, and she said, wow, there's people in that thing. <laughs> She'd been there an hour listening to a choir sing and thought it was like, I don't know, a recording or something. I, and I, and kinda, I will never forget that. And she 
the rest. Of the this is wonderful. I love this. But can we stay longer? I mean, she was like, she fought with the attendants who were trying to take her back. It's like, will they sing another song? I love this thing. And I'm like, wow. What does it do? What, what, what does it take to, 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 to transform somebody from critic to wonder? To, to, to transform somebody from a negative experience to a positive experience. And, and that night, all it took was realizing there are actual people in that tree uh, that's 40 foot tall that's sitting like, you know, 15 feet in front of me. And, and, and yet, when we start getting toward Christmas, we, um, we often get caught up in the fake Christmas. The, the, the Christmas where we put on the happy face. We put on the smile. Uh, people ask how we're doing, and we say, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And, and we really miss the wonder of Christmas. Because you see, the wonder of Christmas is really the power of the story. A, a Christmas family is a, is a family that, that understands the power of God to come into our life and to, and, 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 and to change us so that we value the things that God valued when he sent his son to be born in a manger in Bethlehem. And that creates a sense of wonder in our life. It, it moves us from that critical and that negative and that broken and that wounded to, to, to that person who sees the value of God's worth in the lives of people. Uh, wonder is gonna be easy at our house this year because um, it's my oldest granddaughter. Uh, she's two years old, two years and four months. If you've ever been around a two-year and four-month-old child on the first Christmas, you really remember, it's, it's a hoot, okay? My, my kids were telling me this week that as they were decorating their house, granddaughter was, uh, was having a bit of a struggle because as they're decorating the house, they're trying to teach her. I mean, she, she mimics everything, right? And so they're saying, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And her name is Vera. And she kept going, no, Vera Christmas, Vera Christmas. And we're like, what, what? what? And then it's Daddy's Christmas, Mama's Christmas, not Merry Christmas. And then we realize her little sister's name is Mary. <laughs> and what she was really saying is, it's my Christmas, not her Christmas, because she's just like over there, you know, all smiling, chubby cheek, beautiful. I love my, I love my, my young granddaughters. But it, I thought, you know what, how many of us are that way? How many of us, when we come into this season, instead of seeing the beauty, instead of seeing the positive, we see the, the negative? Instead of seeing Christmas as a time when, when there's this, this sense of joy uh, no, it, 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 it's mine. It's mine. Now, I, I, honestly, she's two. She's going to be fine, all right? It's those of you who are older than two that feel like that, that I worry about, all right? And, and so this morning, as we look at this Christmas story in the Gospels, I, I thought it might be good for us to take a, a deeper dive into the family of Jesus. Uh, that's what this series is really about, a Christmas family is about the, the extended family of Jesus. Last week we talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah, this old priest who, who had a wife who hadn't had any children and couldn't have any children. And how the angel Gabriel showed up when he was in a once in a lifetime opportunity in the temple offering incense to God at the, at the altar. 
And the angel Gabriel showed up and said, hey, you know what? In your old age, you and your wife are going to have a son. And his name is going to be called John. And he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And, and we talked about that whole dynamic. And, and so this week, I want to talk to you about the next step in the story of how Gabriel brought the news to the world. Listen, it's in the same first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, but now instead of being at the temple in Jerusalem with Zechariah, Gabriel shows up, well, listen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Literally, the, the translation there says, how will this be since I do not have sex with a man? Mary, Mary understood the humanity of childbirth. She understood the physical nature of it. She was betrothed to, to Joseph. Now, what does that mean? Well, a betrothal was a, was a legally binding agreement between two families. It wasn't quite the engagement, but it was the first step toward it. And as a result of it being legally binding, to, to break that relationship off would require a legal divorce. So even though she was not married to Joseph yet, and even though they weren't engaged yet, she was betrothed. She was, she was set aside for, for her relationship with Joseph. And she understood enough about the physicality to know that if she's not having sex with a man, she's not going to be able to conceive a child. I mean, Zachariah and Elizabeth were old, but they were married. And there was a relationship sexually between them. That's how John the Baptist was conceived. And, and, and now here she is, and she's, she's waiting to be engaged. All of her life, she's been prepped for this. All of her life, she's been taught all the things that, that she should do. She had the moral upbringing, the ethical upbringing. And now suddenly, into her life, into her world, comes this angel, Gabriel, with this message. A message that says, you know what, Mary? What you've planned is not what's gonna happen in your life. What you've set your sights on is not what God has planned for you. Mary, I have something different for you. I have something more for you. God has something more for you. I'm just sent here to tell you what's gonna happen. You're, you're, gonna, you're gonna have a child. Now, it's at that moment in time that, that we've gotta get the humanity of the story for ourselves. Because, see, Mary was, Mary was probably somewhere between the ages of 13 and 15 years of age. In that culture at that time, women were raised with their extreme purpose being to marry and have children. 
That was about the limit of what was available to women culturally in that time frame. Oh, yeah, you had a few who, who because of the death in their family, they, they ran a business that the family owned. But, but no, the, the general understanding was, no, the role of a woman was to be married and to have children. And now suddenly, this angel shows up where Mary's family has planned all of her life and Mary has been prepared all of her life for this moment in time. And this angel walks in and says, oh, and by the way, that's not what's gonna happen. You're, you're, going, you're going to be brought out into public shame because Joseph will know that he's not the father biologically. And, and the community will know because this betrothal had been a public thing. And this divorce will have to be a public thing. And, and so now, now, Mary, we just, you know, is it any wonder that Mary's reaction to Gabriel was, well, look again at how, how it was said that, that she, she was troubled. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, the sixth month, by the way, is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, look at it, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. <laughs> now, if, 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 if an angel from the presence of God, a messenger from the throne room of heaven shows up in your life, and the first thing he says is, hi, how are you? <laughs> it's pretty important that he follows it with, you are, you are favored and the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled, do you think? You think she was a little bit troubled at this? I mean, how long, no, no show of hands, but how long has it been since an angel showed up in your world? And, and when he shows up, she's greatly troubled, and she's trying to figure out, trying to discern what sort of greeting this is. Am I in trouble with God? I mean, what does it mean to be highly favored? And, and he says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. When you find favor with God, he says, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and in his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? You see, Christmas wonder invites us to live with this understanding that God has a plan for our life. God, God, God invites us into this plan, and it's bigger, it's different than ours. And, and, and when we begin to understand that, we come to that place where we're saying to God, hey, you know what? I, 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 I've got a decision to make. Am I gonna trust your plan, God, or am I gonna stay with mine? And, and, and it comes to fruition in this passage of scripture in Luke chapter 1 in the difference between the way Zechariah reacted to Gabriel and the way Mary reacted to Gabriel. Now I know when you read it in the English it doesn't look like it's much different, right? I mean Zechariah, Gabriel tells him, hey, your wife's going to have a child in her old age. You guys are going to be parents. And, and do you remember what Zechariah said? Zechariah said, and this is in the English, he said, well how will I know this is true? Now, that doesn't sound that much different in the, in the English than, than Mary's statement. How will this be? But if you look at it in the original languages, they're, they're extremely different. 
Because what Zechariah was saying to, to Gabriel was, hey, what proof do I have? Show me, show me the proof. Show me what needs to happen. Prove this to me. How am I going to know this is going to happen? Mary, on the other hand, is going, no, wait a minute. I don't understand this at all. She's not asking for proof. She's just totally befuddled. She's like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm betrothed. I'm not a little girl anymore. I know where babies come from, all right? And I know what you have to do for babies to show up, and I'm not doing that. So how can this be? How can it be that I'm going to have a child and I'm not sleeping with a man? Zachariah's attitude was more like, prove this to me. Now, I love God's grace and God's patience. He gave Zechariah exactly what Zechariah asked for. The angel said, fine. You want proof that this is going to happen? Here's what's going to happen. You're not going to be able to talk until the baby shows up. Nine months of silence. Elizabeth had to be thrilled, all right? Just her husband, no, no, no talking, nine months. And, and, and what happens is that 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 is a like ask for proof. And some of you have done that to God. You've read something, you've heard something, you've felt something, and you're like, God, how in the world are you gonna do that? Prove it to me, God. Prove to me you exist. Prove to me. And, 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 and you need to know, God loves you enough that he will help you. But you need to be careful what you ask for. <laughs> but what takes place in Mary's life is the same thing. She says, how will this be? And what, and what Gabriel does is, Gabriel tells her how it's gonna happen. He really does. Because here's what you've gotta know. Christmas, Christmas invites us to wonder at the fact that God has plans for our life, yeah. But Christmas also invites us to live with wonder at the reality that it's the power of God that makes things possible in our life. It's the power of God that that, that makes our world different when we follow Jesus. I mean, look, look at what Gabriel says to her. Gabriel answers her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So what, what Gabriel says to her is the answer to her question. So how will this be? Here's what's gonna happen. The Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you. The Holy Spirit is going to be your strength. The Holy Spirit is going to be creative in you. The Holy Spirit is gonna do in you, Mary, what he will do in no one else. He will literally come over you and you will conceive a child and this child will be human, but this child will also be 100% God. Friday night, when we were having our Christmas experience here with the hundreds of people who were in the house that night, one part of it is for us at a certain time, we shut down in, in the back. The, the sheep that were back there, the, we, we don't remove them. We just ask everybody to kind of come down front and, and the different things that are happening around and all the, the events, the Christmas card making, the ornament making, all of that. We, we kind of shut that down for a minute and everybody comes down front. And the kids sit here with me. Those of you who are here, you remember, we do it a couple of times in the evening. And we tell the Christmas story. And I explain to them about what these, what these 
replica houses mean about this town called Bethlehem, what, what this manger over here means. And that we, we don't know exactly what the manger looked like. We don't even know if it was a stable or a cave. But what we know is this, that when Jesus was born, he was born in the humblest of conditions. And just like there were sheep in the back of this room that the children could go and touch and pet, that Jesus was born in a place where when he was born, there were animals just like that. And there was straw just like that. And that Mary and Joseph didn't have any place to put their baby, and so they, they found this feeding trough, and they put hay in it, and they, and they laid the baby there. And as I'm telling this story, and as I'm, the, the kids are awesome, right? And they start like, because you know kids, they're not going to sit still. So they're like bouncing around, they're walking back and forth, and, and then one little girl, and then she raised her hand, she asked a question, and then there's another girl, said, and he came so he could die on the cross for us. I said, yes, he did, you know, and so then we keep going with the story, and there's one little girl, and she kind of starts up here, and then she moves down here, and by the time I'm, I'm just about done with the story, she's, she's right down here, she's like moved on, and she's like got her hand, I'm like, I'm like, okay, I cannot ignore this child anymore, okay? And so I turn, and I said, yes, honey, what, what's your question? And she goes, was Jesus born in heaven or on earth? How would you answer that? I hope, I hope you would answer it the way I did. Because you see, Jesus was only born once. It's human beings who have to be born twice. We have to be born again. But he was born, he was born when he came to Bethlehem. Before then, he wasn't born. In fact, John's gospel tells us in the first chapter of the gospel of John that in the beginning was the word. By the way, that's Jesus. And the word was with God. That's the Father. And the word was God, which means there's this trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And by the way, they weren't ever born and they weren't ever created. They are the source of everything. So Jesus was only born once, and it was in Bethlehem, and he only did that for you and me. In fact, that, that passage of Scripture that, that we've misquoted and requoted and made bumper stickers out of, and we hold it up at the end zone of football games because we think somebody will read it. I mean, we wear a rainbow. Have you seen these guys? They wear like rainbow Afro wigs, and they hold the sign up, or, they, or, they're, or they're putting it, and it says John 3.16, okay? Do you really think that works? Do you really think? I mean, because here's the deal. Unless you understand that John 3.16 happens in the context of a conversation between a man named Nicodemus who was asking Jesus what he had to do to be saved, and it's in that passage that Jesus says that you must be born again. Nicodemus, you have to be born again. To just say to somebody, John 3.16, or God so loved the world that he gave his only bear, and say, hey, listen to me. If they don't understand who God is, if they don't understand what needed to happen, that's what Nicodemus was asking. And Jesus answered that question in that context. And at Christmas, you've got to understand that that is true. God loves you so much that he sent his one and only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life, will be, quote, born again. But in order to do that, you don't go back into your mother's womb like Nicodemus thought. And be born a second time? No, no. Your heart is transformed. The power of the Spirit of God comes upon you. You make a decision on how you're going to react to the news that God has a plan for your life. 
Christmas invites us into the wonder of knowing that God has a plan for our life and that he has the power to make that plan a reality if we will choose to respond in the way Mary responded. Because unlike Zechariah, who basically said to Gabriel, prove it to me. Mary says, explain it to me. And then the explanation comes. God's power, God's spirit. Friend, listen to me. I'm not talking about any of you miraculously giving birth to the Son of God. I am talking about all of us miraculously being transformed by the power of the Spirit of God to actually be able to live into what God wants to do in your life. Because if you are not a person who is willing to say to God what Mary said to the angel Gabriel, which is, be it unto me as you've said, which translates, I surrender. God, here I am. Your plans are better than my plans. I, I can't live out your plans. I, I, I can't make my own 10-step plan to better life because you have the best life for me. But what I can do is say to you, hey, God, I believe you have a plan for my life. And I'm willing to tell you yes. I'm willing to tell you yes. Because that's exactly what happened. When the angel Gabriel said to Mary, hey, Mary, you want to know how this is going to happen? The Holy Spirit of God is going to come over you, and you're going to conceive a child. And that child will be unlike any other child that's ever been born or ever will be born. He will be 100% human and 100% God. And he will be that way for one reason and one reason only. Because the only way that all the human beings who've ever lived on the face of the earth, who give in to their own plans, who live into their own will, who live into their own destruction, can be saved from themselves and saved from their destruction is to have a Savior who is willing to come and be tempted in every way as they are tempted. And yet sin not. And I understand the arrogance of the 21st century. I understand how much knowledge and information we have. I understand the technology, and I, I get the question, well, what do you mean Jesus was tempted by internet pornography? They didn't have any internet then. No, listen to me. Internet pornography comes out of the root evil of lust, and the root evil of lust comes out of dehumanizing other people and making people into objects rather than creations of God and treating them for your pleasure rather than for the pleasure of God in terms of how God sees everything individual as valuable and worthy of his love and grace and mercy. And so when you look at that, yeah, Jesus was tempted with that. Jesus was tempted with, the, with objectifying the opposite sex. Jesus was tempted with dehumanizing other people. Jesus was tempted in every way at the core levels of where you've been tempted. Don't be arrogant enough to think that your temptation is bigger than the temptation the Son of God faced. No. The Son of God faced that temptation so you could have hope, so you could, you could have a choice to say yes to the plan of God or to say yes to your own abilities to try to create your own wholeness. And the fact of the matter is, as intelligent and gifted as you are, 
You'll never do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why the wonder of Christmas is this wonder that invites us into lives where, where we understand God's got a plan and God's got the power to make the plan happen. And because of that, well, what we think is impossible, we actually can see as possible. Because Christmas invites us to live with the wonder at the possibilities of God for our life. This Christmas, no matter how broken, no matter how hurt, no matter how wounded you are, this Christmas, no matter how lonely, no matter how devastated, no matter how tough your life is, you've got to know there is a God who sent his son, and that's why we celebrate. That's why we put mangers and stars and Bethlehem. That's why we, that's why we take the time to sing the songs so that we can remember, so that we can be reassured that God, God is with us, Emmanuel. And when God is with us, then we have a choice. We can either embrace his presence or we can ignore his design for our life. But Mary, Mary said, how's this gonna happen? And Gabriel said, well, here's how it's gonna happen. And you know what Mary said? Look at what Mary said. Gabriel's still talking. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, she's already conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God, Mary. And what did Mary say? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. See, when, when, when she was confronted with the opportunity, the choice, same choice you've got, to either say, hey, God, I'll trust your plans. I'll, I'll trust your power. I'll live by your spirit. As Emily said so eloquently in her baptism video, I will spend my life following after Jesus. My friend, that's your choice today too. When you came into this room and sat down, there was a little white card on the chair. Would you pick it up? Because in the next couple moments, we're gonna do something that I think could change your life forever. Heather and, and the team are gonna sing. They're gonna sing a song, and, and uh, for those of you who join us all the time, you know that normally I'll ask you to stand and sing with them. I'm, I'm not gonna do that today. Today I want you to remain seated. And I want you to take this little white card, and while they sing, I want you to think about your life. And what is it in your life that feels impossible right now? What is it in your life that feels like it could never be made whole again? What is it in your life? What dream do you have? Or better yet, what dream does God have for you? 
and you just don't think it can happen. And over these next few minutes, as you listen to this song, whether you're with us on campus or online, if you're online in our online community, I, I hope you'll get a piece of paper and, and a writing instrument as well. And I want to encourage you to listen to the Spirit of God. And what is it that God is promising you that, that feels totally impossible? I just want you to write it down. Now, relax. I'm not going to ask you to bring it up here and read it in front of everybody. And I'm not even going to ask you to write, come up and lay it on an altar. No, 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 we're not going to do that today. Today, this is for you. This is for you. I'm going to drop it. This is for you to face your impossible. What is your impossible that God wants to make possible for you? As we sing, listen to God and then write it down.
you're on campus this morning, I'm going to ask you, would you stand with me? There are many postures of prayer. Some kneel, some lie on their face. Others stand with arms raised high. But there is a posture of prayer that has always been extremely helpful to me. And I invite you to join me in it today. Well, you see, the reason I chased this little piece of paper down was because I wanted to write on it myself. The things that I needed to trust God with that feel impossible to me. And so what I'm gonna ask you to do is to take and place that card in your hands and hold it just like this. If you're online with us, I invite you to join us as well. Because here's what I want you to know. I had someone come up to me after the first hour and say, Pastor, I'm glad you prayed for us because it feels so impossible to me. I need someone who thinks it's possible to pray. And I just want you to know that I believe God can make your impossible possible through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you if you will simply say the same thing Mary did. I am your servant. Do with me as you wish. I'd like to pray for you. God, thank you. Thank you that you sent Jesus as a baby in a manger to a young lady who had such amazing faith. Sometimes, God, we, we don't feel like we have the same amount of faith she had because we don't. But we do have access to the same, the same spirit, the same presence that she had. And so right now, Heavenly Father, I, I would ask you to look down upon us here in this room and wherever else people might be lifting their hands and holding their impossible up for you. Don't let us hold on to it. Allow us to release it to you and to release ourselves to you. Make the impossible possible because we trust you. So heal the marriages, heal the bodies, restore those who lost their faith. And, and Lord, would you reach to those who've never had a faith and begin to speak into their heart through your same Holy Spirit so that all of us can experience the wonder of Christmas and that our family, whatever our family looks like, can find the same peace and strength and joy that Mary pondered in her heart in a little stable cave outside a town filled with strangers and know that you are with us. For it's in the strong name of Jesus Christ that we pray.